Hi everyone, this is Chris Foss. Welcome to the pre-show of the Chris Foss Show podcast. Today we have a most excellent guest, Gino Barbero. Uh, Gino's going to be talking about some interesting things. During the podcast, uh, he has some wealth of information. Uh, he has six kids. Holy crap, homeschools him. <laughs> but he talks about his investment business and uh, uh, managing a real estate portfolio, an investment real estate portfolio, owning different properties and making money off of them and how he leverages that into success for him and his family. And of course, working with partners, building a business, the aspects around that business and everything else. So uh, I think you're going to get some good life lessons from uh, Gino today. And you're going to also learn some great things about maybe where you want to invest in real estate or just when it comes down to long-term investments in projects, businesses that you have, being an entrepreneur, things of that nature. Let's get into the show and check it out. Hi, Mr. Smoss here from the Show.com. The Show.com. Hey, we're coming here with a, another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. You guys are the most wonderful and excellent audience of all time. Don't tell anyone. It's a secret. We'll just keep it between us. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys. We certainly appreciate you. Please refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives, dogs, cats, mistresses, pool boys. You know, knock it out of the park. Get everyone listen to the show, even the cockroaches in your home if you live in New York City, because God knows they need something to do while they're eating your food off the floor. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys. We've got a most excellent guest because we have all of the best guests as, and the most uh, hyperbole behind it when it really comes down to it. And I want to introduce our good friend, Gino Barbero. Gino is an investor, business owner, and entrepreneur. He's been investing in real estate for 15 years and has grown his multifamily portfolio to over 900 units in five years. He's teamed up with Jake Stenzazio, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, they've created jakeandgino.com. That's probably more what you want to take and go to. And um, he's a real estate investing company that offers coaching and training in real estate investing. He's a best-selling author of Wheelbarrow Profits. Gino is a graduate of the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching and a certified professional coach. He is also the author of a best-selling cookbook, Family, Food, and the Friars. He lives in Florida. We won't hold that against him. And he has six children. Gino, welcome to the show. Chris, most excellent introduction, my friend. I am ready to go. No cockroaches here, just six kids. Myself in my office. So let's let's get this thing roaring, baby. Cool. I have a puppy, so uh, that's my little cockroach around the house. Um, I suppose cockroaches pee in your house, but my puppy seems to be making up for whatever loss they might get from cockroaches. Um, so that's the fun I'm having at my house. So six kids, Gino. You you built a business uh, of real estate. Tell us. Uh, oh, give us some of your plugs, and then tell us how you got here and how we uh, made this happen. Well, Chris, it's really interesting. Six kids. I started out with one like everybody else, right? You start out with one. You're like, what the hell did I do? You have a second one. It's like, it's okay. The third one, I fell in love with my third child. I'm not going to lie to you. That's what wrote me in, my friend. What happened to the first two children, Gino? You didn't fall in love with them? Uh, you fall in love with them, but they're painful. You know those painful <laughs> memories? It's like buying your first real estate deal. I wrote an article about this. It's launching tomorrow. How multifamily and kids are very the same, large family. The first okay. one, how, how do you feel in your first deal? You feel like thrown up, right? You don't know what the hell you're doing. You have no manual. You're like, what am I doing here? The second <laughs> one is like, I figured out what has going on. You got to go to the hospital. You got the kid. The third one is like, wow, it's a manual. It's a recipe going on. And by the time you have three, four, five, and six, you're like, dude, I can do this. I like this. I enjoy it. And um, you know what? 
you get to an age where the only difference is one puts money in your pocket, the other one takes money out of your pocket. So you can decipher which one does which. But uh, I love life. I'm having a great time. Uh, this is a former pizza guy. I owned a restaurant in New York. Um, I loved it for the first 15 years. 2008 comes. Economy crashes. Sucks. I'm blaming everybody. It's Obama's fault. It's John's fault. Dude, it's my fault for not making money. Look inward. It's all about personal growth. That's what it's all about. So I said to myself, I have two choices. I can wallow in. I just lost my dad. My dad was my partner, mentor for 20 years back in 07. I was with him in the kitchen for my whole life. I, 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 that was part of my love, right? You get anchored. You get into situ situations where you just feel. And then that void came not making money, working harder, not liking what I was doing, that's the vast majority of Americans, right? 80% of the people would not be doing what they want to do if they weren't getting paid. And I was one of them. I said to myself, I don't want to do that. I want to have a legacy. I want to be able to be a role model for my children, not only for what money I'm making. It's not only about the money. Money is not the cause. It's the result. It's what I've learned over the last 10 years. So I said to myself, what do I want to do? I said, I want to become financially free, who I want to work with, where I want to work with, why I want to work with, and when I want to work with. That's what financially free means to me. Met Jake in 2008. He was doing, uh, actually, like I said, Mr. Stenziano. He was doing uh, pizza orders, uh, delivery, catering out of my restaurant. He was a drug rep for Glaxo. He hated his job. He moves down to Knoxville. 2011, we buy our first deal. Fast forward to now, we have 900 units. Don't know how it happened. Got past the fear, and I said to myself, there's two choices. Stay home, blame everybody else, or take personal responsibility and try to flourish. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people went through that in 2008, 2009. Uh, you know, I had a mortgage business that we built for 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and the uh, We had a courier company, a talent agency. We owned a lot of different uh, small corporations that we tried and, and little startups we tried to do on our side action. Um, and it all got wiped out in 2000, the, the big real estate bust of 2008. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I never thought that, as a career, I'd put 20 years into <clears throat> a business that's highly licensed and costs a lot of money to stay in at the time, mm -hmm. uh, that it would just all go busto, like everything. And for, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting a lot of companies, I was just relentless after everything crashed, especially in the real estate market. Um, I was relentless at starting new businesses and trying new things and getting stuff to work. And that economy just would was just a nightmare. Uh, one of my friends said to me, they go, Chris, in the last two years, you've tried so many things to, to get leverage and get stuff working. He goes, if if it came out that you were an international arms dealer and you took that up because you're trying to you know survive, um, he goes, I wouldn't be surprised because you you tried, it seems like everything. <laughs> so that was a that was a tough time economy uh, economy wise. And um, it, it may I think we had to realize how how, uh, you know, a lot of these companies are too big to fail and, and you had, uh, and, you know, how big uh, internationally companies were betting on mortgage strips, mortgage uh, mortgage packages and portfolios as being a security. And, and things changed at that point. People didn't value homes as much anymore as they did. The homes became disposable. So we had a real estate crash. But uh, let's talk more about you. Give, give me your plug to your website again so that people can look that up. Sure. The, uh, the website is jakeandgino.com. We have a top 10 podcast in real estate. Between top 10 and 15, it's called Wheel of Our Profits. We've been doing it for over two years. What our niche is multifamily investing. It's more like you know financial education, multifamily investing. We've had some fantastic guys on. We're trying to teach people how to build a business because when people look at real estate, they think of the fix and flip. They think of the small single families. Real estate 
is a business. You have to learn how to build a business and you have to be able to scale a business. Business building is all about, do you want your lifestyle to dictate your business or do you want your business to dictate your lifestyle? I want my lifestyle to dictate my business. So for us, multifamily just made total sense. And we go into, we talk about the multifamily, multifaceted multifamily where you have assets growing and you can spin off certain forms of income from that one asset. So if you have, for instance, uh, multiple, let's say a, a portfolio here, I'm, I have my hand up. This is the spoke of the wheel right here. You've got 500 units, right? From this one spoke, let's generate additional forms of revenue. You have a mortgage company. You want to attach a mortgage company to your multifamily assets? Great. Let's open up a real estate brokerage. Why not? You can source your own private deals. Hey, property management, bam, another source of revenue. You have an HVAC company you want to attach to your multifamily that services your multifamily, and the list goes on and on. Trash valet, you want to go through this. So that's what we try to teach people. Just don't think small. Don't think about just investing. Become an asset manager and try to scale the business. So when you do have certain downturns, you are vertically integrated. That's a powerful word. You control the asset. It's not just about you know becoming passive. There's nothing passive in life. If you want passive retire, come down to Florida and live with these guys down here. There's nothing. I think that word passive is is a misnomer. If you're a lawyer, you want to retire, throw some money in the account. That's one thing. But if you want to really scale a business and enjoy life, uh, you know, multifamily is the way to go, at least in my estimation. And we've had a lot of people on the show that have done investments and, and talk about it. Um, and I think we had someone on a week or two ago uh, of the same scale. So, so how did you get started? Tell us about how you made those first steps and what you, you know, the lessons you learned, things of that nature that got you into it. Cause I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what are the first steps that I take to, to uh, start walking down this path? Well, sure, Chris. I, I think the most important thing for people to figure out is what's your why in life? What is your big why? And that's why I went to coaching school. I went to personal development. So my first tip to anybody before you invest any money into an asset, whether it's a single family home, whether it's cryptocurrency, whatever it is, figure out what your why is. My why was get the hell out of the kitchen, stop doing $10 an hour washing dishes and try to scale something up and try to make some money for my family. Once I figured that why out was my family, pick an asset niche. I picked the asset niche. I picked multifamily because of the you know tax benefits, because of the cash flow, the principal pay down. It's one of the best vehicles. I mean, listen, anyone heard of cost seg? It's like the Nirvana. Why do you think Trump doesn't pay any taxes? Come on, let's get real. The tax code was written to stimulate uh, the way people spend money, the way people invest. And once you figure out the game, learn how to play the game the right way. And that's all people do. They're playing it legally. They're playing it right. So uh, multifamily real estate is an awesome vehicle to do that. I figured out my why. I figured out my asset niche. The next thing was to do was either focus on how am I going to get money. I chose a partner. That partner route was great for us because we have 900 units. We have yet to syndicate. So it's all in-house money. It's all refinancing these properties and repurposing and not buying Ferraris, not going to Vegas for the weekend, putting that money back into the deals, my friend. You know what I'm saying? And just keep growing, keep growing the, the business. That's what our goal was. Um, next thing, focus on a specific market. I was blessed that Jake moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, which is, believe it or not, a fantastic market for multifamilies. A lot of renters down there. Cost of living is great. You're talking about you know, a, a no state income tax, right to work state. It's just the perfect nirvana for investing in multifamily because people are moving down. And like Chris alluded to, the house is gone. That dream is gone, my friend. It's not an ATM anymore. People are not buying the house. People are buying houses later. They're having families later. Baby boomers are retiring and downsizing. So multifamily, you see the swell coming. That's why cap rates 
the way people buy them have been dropping. Values have been going up because of that one thing. And I was fortunate to start. I mean, there's never the right time to start, guys. Don't think that there's the perfect time. It's the time to start when you're pissed off and you're ready to go. And I had reached my 38th, 39th year of my life. And I said to myself, I don't want to keep doing this. It's time to go. You're moving from pain or towards pleasure. And I was moving away from pain. And I chose Jake. Thank God. He was a great partner. And we you know, stuck in there. It took us 18 months to get our first deal. We got our first deal after eight month, 18 months. And ironically enough, three months later, we bought our second deal. Six months later, we got our third deal. So it's that snowball effect where you start taking positive action. People start noticing your wins and all of a sudden they want to jump on the bandwagon. And that's what happens in life. Once you start taking those positive actions, positive results are going to occur. Most definitely. So you started when you were 39, right? Uh, yeah, I started, I, we started in February, 2013. So that was five or six years ago. It took us a good 18 months, Chris, to get our first deal. I mean, I had already been coached. I had already gotten the education, but it took us a while to find our first deal. Jake goes out and buys a house with his wife. You got to listen to the wife sometimes. So that slows us down a little bit. I wasn't sure of the market down there. I wasn't doing it. But then I said, you know what? We bought this 25 unit little property. It wasn't that much capital for us. We each put in 30 grand each. I had my brother come in as a partner too. And um, we said, let's take, a, let's, let's take a chance. So, you know, the problem nowadays is we're so in tune to the instant gratification that if it doesn't work, we give up. And the problem with real estate, it's all about networks. You're, what, is they, what do they say? Your net worth is equal to your network, and you have to build that up. You have to build up a credibility book. Why is anybody going to give you money? Um, why would they actually, why would a broker waste his time showing me properties if I can't close? You have to show that, and it doesn't happen overnight. You have to build rapport with these people, and that's why it takes a while. So if you can stick in there and you have a strong enough why, when something happens, that, that curve goes in the road, you have a big pothole, it's not going to stop you. You're like, damn, I got to do something else instead of like, ah, it didn't work. You know, that's the biggest difference that I see in people being successful. And that, that's a lot of the stuff I hear from my real estate friends. It, it, it is the long ball. You know, my dad used to tell me this story uh, a long time ago, and I don't know who the originator was of the story. He used to tell me a few different names, uh, Einstein. And I think another time he would tell me it was uh, the Howard Hughes uh, founder. Uh, it was Howard Hughes, the Hughes Corporation founder. Um, and it was a story about how, would you rather have like, I think it was, and, and forgive me if I botched this, but I think it was like, would you rather have a million dollars now or a penny a day for 10 years and compound interest is 6% passbook? And of course, back in the day when they created that, you could get 6% passbook. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and, you know, you explained to me uh, all the long ball. Um, and yeah, and you're right. People have really um, given into the instant gratification. I think people are renting more now than ever and not owning. Um in 2008, we talked about it when my mortgage company crashed, uh, along with all the mortgage business, completely just uh, capitulated to itself. Mm -hmm. um, and after that, I began consulting with banks. Uh, and this was like 2007, 2006, 2007. Because here in Las Vegas, we, we, we were the first uh, implosion of the real estate market. And I knew it was coming. I just didn't realize it would be that bad. And... Um, I remember I was I was in California at one of the banks. I guess I won't say their name on air. I guess whatever. Um, for I think it was, it was first interstate or it was somebody in uh, Santa Monica. It was based in Santa Monica. I think they recently been bought. Uh, so I, I'm sitting uh, hanging out there doing my consulting thing, and they they someone brings up the word. Uh, oh, we got more jingle mail today, and I go, uh, "What's jingle mail?" And they go, "Oh." There's a new thing with all the repossessions happening, the people abandoning their homes. They're just throwing their keys in the 
in the mail and just sending to us and go, here's your home back. Have fun. Um, there was a lot of the, it was a lot of the, uh, uh, investment people that were just like, screw it, have the home back, have fun. Here's the keys. And when the mail bags would come to the bank, they would jingle because they had so many keys being sent. Seriously? Whoa. They called it jingle bell. It was <laughs> the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. And that's when I started realizing that, you know, I've been in the mortgage business for 20 years and people, people, you know, they bought homes and, and they invested for them long term. You know, maybe they flipped out of them every three to five years or seven years. They moved to a new home. But usually they were, you know, they usually they were upscaling uh, unless they were hitting the, the end of their years and downscaling. But um, I realized at that point in time that we crossed the paradigm that we used to have in America where, you know, I, we used to have these credit programs where as long as you paid your mortgage on time, even if you let your car repossess and your, your credit cards go, people would always let their consumer debt go first and they would keep the house because you need a place to sleep at night. And so that was the paradigm for which secured mortgages were built on. <clears throat> and in 2008, it flipped. People kept their credit cards to go to the mall and they kept their expensive Land Rovers and Mercedes Benzes, but they let the house default. And we became this whole sort of new disposable society. And so I think people rent more now. Um, and people, I think, especially with like the millennials, I think, I think they're, I think they're just barely now, maybe in their late thirties getting into investing for real estate. So this is a good time for them to probably wake up and start looking at the long ball and, 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 and earning security and interest, uh, over the long haul. But Chris, let me ask you a question. Do you think people are letting their houses go because they had no skin in the game? Because if they had 20, 30% equity in these houses, see, that's the problem nowadays. When you're looking for a partner, you're syndicating, you're looking, the most important thing is to have some skin in the game. Because if you don't, you're going to get the jingle money. And that's what happened. People are upside down like crazy. So why the hell do they keep it? You know, there's no reason to keep yeah. it. And I, I fault the banks. I fault a lot of people for it. Maybe people got overextended. But if you don't, and that's when you look, you know, you're going to investments. Don't over lever like that. Because once you over over lever, you're in big trouble. So no matter what happens, you're screwed. And that's what's happening. It's the greater fool theory. And all of a sudden that greater fool theory gets slammed up and you buy. That's why with the multifamily, you have to be careful. You have to buy for cash flow. I don't know if you ever heard the term, an alligator property is one that's going to eat you alive. It's got negative cash flow. Don't ever buy a property just for the long, like you said, the long term, like long term can mean a lot of things. To me, long term is cash flow today and forced appreciation three to five years from now and just principal pay down three to five years from now and possibly flipping out or selling the property three to five years. It's not, I'm going negative on this property. And you know what? I can handle that. Do ever buy a property with negative cash flow because you never know what's going to happen. That icing on the cake might not happen. That car wash might not open up next door. You'd never know. You buy in today's numbers. And that's what's happening with this market now. People are actually speculating too much. And when you start speculating and you start buying on the future appreciation, and it happened in 06, 07, or it was only 10 years ago, and we're just repeating the same thing now. So we're still buying. We bought a couple of assets in the last three months, but we're buying them on actual numbers. They're cash flowing really well, and we're not over levering ourselves. That's what you need to do in this, in this market right now. Yeah, I saw that. We saw that in 2007. Um, and as real as in being in the mortgage business and I was a realtor for about six years as well. Um, uh, it used to be when I would get our FISBO list, like 90% of it would be owner occupied selling their own homes. 10% of it would be investors selling their products and so selling their mm -hmm. homes. And then it flipped to where it was 75% of investors selling their homes and 25% of, um, people selling their homes. And I was like, this is not 
this is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. We've got too much speculation in the market. At the time, the um, the Wall Street, I forget what they are, the Wall Street uh, firms had come in, the guys with the stupid money that just get, were giving it away. Private equity um, guys, correct? The Which ones? Private equity guys. Yeah, the private equity, I forget what they're called, hedge funds. Hedge funds, uh, yeah. Hedge funds guys came in, and they just started doing all this stuff in the mortgage business that we knew you shouldn't do, like 100% loans. I mean, they were doing... <laughs> They were doing they were, they were these negative AM one uh, percent down uh, you know loans yeah. that were just insane that we knew you don't you know you never before they came along we knew in the mortgage business you don't give one hundred percent loans to to non owner occupants because they will abandon the home because like I said they don't have any skin in the game they're not living uh -huh. in the home so if some renter decides to pour concrete down the pipes of the house, he's just going to flip you the keys and go, I'm out of here. I don't have any skin in the game. But if he has 30 to 40 grand invested in that property and his down money, he's probably going to ride it out and not, right. not, not give up his money. So these hedge funds really created that whole sort of nightmarish thing. Part of it was the Dodd-Frank issues. Uh, he, you know, you can almost point to him and blame him for the economy. And what he did, because they loosened the regulations to let these hedge funds in, but uh, they they kill the market. And you know the the big lesson is is you got to invest long term, like you say. You got to make sure you have cash flow. Uh, when I first moved to Vegas, we came here to invest from Utah with a, a few different people. One of my uh, side investors was a, a husband of a guy who uh, of a gal who worked at, who was like really high up at Newskin. So we came here to invest. And immediately after interviewing brokers, I found out that we were in for a bubble because uh, a lot of our inventory issues have been ish come from 9-11 when contractors have pulled their contracts for about a year and then leaped back in the market. They created this inventory glut that created this crazy demand bubble that we were having in Las Vegas that was going to pop. We had investors here that weren't seasoned at all. I mean, my hair, my hair, I had a hairdresser who bought five properties and... And, and, you know, almost no down 500 bucks. And we, I went, I signed for a mall and she bought them and like, and they didn't do any of the rent research. They didn't do any, you know, I, I remember one guy I came across, he had four properties that he bought uh, and his mortgage payment was 2,600 bucks a month on each one. And the rent at that time, the, the, the kind of the max rent for a single family rent home was like 1,400. So he was like 1200 upside down as to what the market would pay for. And of course he went broke. Um, and he, you know, he did it all in negative M's. So that was even <laughs> worse. But yeah, you got to do your homework. Like you say, you got to, you got to learn. I, I would definitely say go to some of the schools and classes. Uh, evidently they can do some coaching with you as well. Um, and, you know, keep your wits about you. But think for the long ball. You're, you're right. These people nowadays, they're really focused on the short term and you know it's the long-term building of stuff and real estate is the perfect thing for that uh you know owning a business is hard i've owned a lot of businesses and they a lot of businesses go out of business either initially they just don't get the legs or um like i said after 20 years you lose the mortgage business um and you know is it, so those those can go up and down but most times with real estate you have a very secure investment portfolio um you know even if a house burns down you got insurance so mm -hmm. you rebuild it and, uh, you know, as long as you cross your T's and dot your I's, that's the real key. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yep. Most definitely. So you've written a book on food too, and you homeschool yes. your six kids. That's interesting. Yes. 
Uh, well, it's, it's actually the best thing I ever did in my life. Uh, we had our first child. My wife's uh, sister was homeschooling, so we're up in New York. So don't want to send them to Catholic school, and you have a bunch of kids. So we said, let's try it at home. And um, it's, it's, it's like it's awesome. They're home. They're down there right now doing school uh, three to four hours a day. My wife goes crazy. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but what's <laughs> easy in life? It's not. It's, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not this panacea, beautiful thing. But at the end of the day, if there's anything that you love in life and that you really respect and you want to do it, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy, but it's so rewarding because my oldest one's 18 now. She's actually a freshman in in uh, Flagler College down here in St. Augustine. So she just did her first year. And it's funny thing is she didn't get a high school diploma. So you don't need a high school diploma to go to college. They oh. want these kids. Yeah, they want these kids. These kids are really motivated. They know how to learn. They will learn what they want to. And the most important thing is, you know, the kids are home with me. I am the role model. I am, you know, choosing who's kids whose friends they are because it's important when you're 10 12 11 years old you want to be judged by your peers chris in two times in life that you're with people of your own age group when you're in school and when you're in a retirement home every time else in your life you're going to be with different people of different age groups and that's not natural to me to have kids in the same age 12 13 you want your kids to be able to deal with adults you want them to deal my 15 year old will pick up the three-year-old like nothing it's natural that's what you want you want to create that family relationship you want to you know be really a great role model to them. You want to hold them up. You don't want to criticize your kids. You don't want to tell them they suck at anything because then they'll never do it again. You can be stern with them, but um, I can go into parenting for a while. I just love to be around them, and that's why you know homeschooling works for us. It's uh, And unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, there's a lot of people moving to it for the wrong reasons. They think about safety in the school and all. No, you do it because you want your kids to grow up with your values and how you look at life and how you want people to be treated. And you also want to teach them. And we haven't even hit upon the uh, education education part. Everyone's always worried about the social aspect of it, which is not even an issue. But the education aspect, my son's 15. He just read the 12 pillars and he just read Millionaire Fast Lane in the last four days in school. He's motivated. That's what he wants to read. So he'll focus on what he likes. If he hates something, he ain't going to do it. If he was in school, he'd have to do five hours of crap that he didn't want to do. But now that you're homeschooled, you can do it. He likes theology. He's 15 years old. He's a lot smarter than me yeah. in theology, but that's what he likes. So that's one of the cool things about being homeschooled is you can actually tailor the kids strengths instead of trying to teach them something they don't like and they'll never use in their lives so um it's a good it's been one of the best decisions that i ever made cool yeah our education system's a real turd and, and i'm not bashing teachers at all i my mother was a teacher my sister was a teacher i have a lot of super respect for teachers mm -hmm. they should get paid a whole lot more um yep. and they should be supported i mean i've been seeing all these teachers strike recently but but yeah the stuff you learn in school um, it's really funny. I can look back on my high school years and the most important, most valuable, uh, most put money in my pocket thing that I learned in school was uh, typing class. And That's right. the reason that was good was it taught me how to use a keyboard to type. Um, and when my I started my first business and we had to make invoices and type out letters and proposals and all that sort of good stuff, well, my partner, who hadn't learned typing class, would sit there and henpeck for hours out our invoices and stuff we picked during <laughs> yes. the weekend when we were starting out. Um, you know, I could sit there and use the whole keyboard. Uh, and that was the most important, valuable thing I learned in 12 years of school. And the rest of it was just a pain in the ass. And most of my, I think most of my English or, or grammar or punctuation I've learned from uh, Grammarly. <laughs> So Chris, that's the problem. Like you get out of school, then you hate school. You hate to learn. You know, when you graduate college, it's a commencement. I heard, I've learned the word commencement is to begin. 
When you finish college, it's you're starting a new life and you're starting a new education. Most kids who graduate college are done. They hate the learning. So I don't want my kids to be in a, an environment of school where they hate to learn. You want them to be able to pick up a book and be able to teach themselves. And I think you, there's no need to bash teachers. Part of the problem is when kids come home from school, they have no parents there to actually tell them what to do. There's no structure going on anymore. That's the first thing. Second thing is money going to education. We spend more per child. It's ridiculous. Where is the where's the technology that we have nowadays? Mm -hmm. Why aren't we doing Zoom calls with kids? Why aren't we doing different kinds of games with kids? Because we learn by games. Listen, I played cash flow one-on-one with my 12-year-old. She wants the Ferrari. She knows when it comes to inner balance sheet is it's important. You know, financial education is important. If you want to be a doctor, you learn doctor terms. If you want to be a wealthy entrepreneur, you learn finance terms. So just pick up games, start playing games with kids. That's what school doesn't do. It makes it more of a job. I mean, it's a freaking eight to three. It's almost a nine to five thing. It's almost like they go to school all week, then they come home and do two more hours of work. What the hell? That's not how you learn. That's how you ingrain into somebody that learning becomes a chore. It's not something you enjoy to do. So I think that's the biggest difference between someone who's homeschooled and someone who goes to whether public or private education. Just have the kids flourish and wherever they want to focus on, and then they'll enjoy to learn how to read. And listen, you have Google. I mean, you can Google anything nowadays. You can teach yourself anything nowadays. So, There's so you much know. stuff you can, you can have. I remember years ago, well, I won't tell the story. It's a, it's a story about Henry. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll make it short. Henry Ford uh, had this thing where the board of directors or some of his investors or something challenged his CEO ability to run uh, the Ford company. Uh, and they, he only had a fourth grade education. So they went to court to try and remove him mm -hmm. from his position because he only had a fourth grade education. And he went into court and he showed them that they had this button system, this intercom button system, where he had all these experts who knew everything he might need to know if he had a question, and he could summon them by hitting the buttons to summon, you know, this guy who's proficient in that, this guy yada yada and he showed the court that even though he had a fourth grade education what was more important was he knew where to get the knowledge from mm -hmm. he needed to know and he was willing to learn that knowledge too as well and because of that he he won the court case and retained mm -hmm. uh, retained the head of the thing um and you know the the i i, I kind of like i like our education system but what it does is it forces a buffet of interest to see if you're if you peek in any of them and pop in any of them, what your future thing is. They teach you biology, they teach yes. you algebra, uh, they teach you all this stuff. And unfortunately, it just really ruins your self esteem when you can't do well at like algebra. Or right. like, I remember telling, they, they were like, you got to cut open a frog. I'm like, F you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, man. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a biologist. I know that mm -hmm. now. I know that when the, the cutting of the frog happened, you're explaining to me like atoms and shit. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I, really I agree. I agree. And why do I need to endure this class for like four years at a time just to get you get a teacher paid, which there's nothing wrong with? But you know, they force this curriculum on you. Even my mom, who's a teacher for uh, all of her life and retired, um, she used to say we need to do more of we need to do more of like the European system. The European system early on tries to identify your your strong traits, like maybe you're a biologist, maybe you're one of those guys who's really good at math and you're going to go on to be an engineer. And they try and form and fit you early on to what your strengths are, and then they put you in the fast tracks to those things. So they're not teaching you, you know, all the crap you don't need to do. College is the same way. You show up to college and you're like, you must take these classes. And you're like, why? I just took English, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, yep. 
algebra, talk about a skill I've never freaking used in my life. And you never will um, use. That was the biggest waste of time and not only the most destructive self-esteem thing on my, on my mm -hmm. learning experience. And when it did, the classes that I hated and the stuff that I was being forced to take just were so destructive at my self-esteem and my willing to learn that I just eventually tuned it out and became a really bad student. Um, and, you know, I, I can see why people homeschool. I mean, my kids would be being taught my curriculum. Uh, you know, I, I'd be reading them. Uh, my my, my um, employees used to joke, they're like, when Chris has kids, they're going to they're gonna go to bed and or they're going to wear double-breasted suits and and he's going to have them stock investing and owning their own companies by the time they're three, which I probably would. I'd probably wait till four. But, um, you know, I'd be like, hey, you're five now, man. <laughs> Where's the LLC, buddy? What do we got uh -huh. going on? Kickstarter, what's going on? I want to know how's the stock portfolio going? What are, what are we doing here, buddy? Um, you know, I'd invest mm -hmm. in them in the pillars of, of like real estate, like you say, or um, in the stock market. But the stock market goes ups and downs. You know, they, I see a lot of these people that are investing in Bitcoin, and you know that's fine. There's nothing wrong with investing in something if you want to invest in it. But you know, invest in it for long term. I've got friends that keep buying and selling through the ups and downs of Bitcoin, and they keep losing their ass. And mm -hmm. you know, some what you're doing long term, you're probably going to definitely. I, I know you're going to definitely outpace the fun. Well, the problem, the, yeah, the problem with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, for me at least, as being a novice investor, I can't place a value on it. You know what I'm saying? It's basically beholden to demand and supply of what somebody's willing to pay for right now. Now, if you want to get into blockchain, that's a different, different thing, but I just can't value it. So if it's something that I don't know how to do, sort of tend to stay away from it. And if I'm going to invest in it, I'm going to spend the next six months researching the crap out of it before I put money into the space. Yeah, and it's. And I think really too, it's really about that long ball, mm -hmm. um, uh, just the long, long ball. That's what you have to focus on. Um, and uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's really it, it, that makes all the difference in the world. These short-term things, you know. I, I used to have people that would be like, "Chris, I joined this MLM, and I'm going to get rich, and I'm only going to work for three months, and then I'll be a retire." And I'm like, man, anybody who's telling you you're going to retire after three months of work for the rest of your life and you're going to be rich with passive income, that's just a scam. Uh -huh. And most of these MLMs usually end up being a scam. Uh -huh. um, they, they're hot for a short time. I lived in Utah for a, for a while and, and just, just rife with these scams, uh, including the cult religion that's there as well. That's a scam. Um, and I think that's what makes it why MLMs propagate there so well. But uh, the long ball investing in something long-term, letting it sit, letting it ride, letting it gain interest, let it gain returns, and let those returns compound are really mm -hmm. key. I agree. I agree. So what else is going on? Talk to me. Uh, nothing much. Uh, nah, we're just rocking and rolling. I'm going to wrap so we can move into the next show we have at the top of the hour. So Dan, uh, take in Gino. Give me your um, plugs so we can do that. Sure. Uh, like I said, just go to jakeandgino.com. Uh, go check out our podcast called Wheel of Our Profits. We're on iTunes. That's all I got to plug. Just, uh, you know, I, we're there, Jake and Gino, to help people out. You know, if you want to get into your first deal, you're thinking about multifamily, you're a residential broker who's stuck and saying, listen, that's a grind. I've got to go out, show buyers, you know, the color, the view of the house. If you want to get into making passive income, give us a call. Apply to work for us. We, uh, we've got a great community director. His name is Josh. Just get on the call. We'll see if we can, we can work together.
Cool. And then, of course, you got the podcast, too. So if you want to learn how to do this in your spare time, um, that's the other great thing about real estate investing, I think. A lot of the people that I met, some of them kept their day jobs, and they use this as a secondary income. Mm -hmm. um, and they, you know, they do their own work, and they have that, and everything stacks up when it comes down to it. Chris, that's the beauty of multifamily. I mean, Jake and I started on our first 25. We we're both working full time. I'm working 55 hours at the restaurant. He's working full time as a drug rep. You can scale up quick. Our second deal, we're still working full time and doing this part time. By the time we did our third deal, a year after we started, he quit his job and I kept going to the restaurant. So you can start part time. You don't have to buy that one house. You can buy those multiple units in one thing, get that economies of scale going and start. And you know what? If you don't want to scale up, fine. You've still got a little. A uh, little scalable, little economies of scale thing going. So you, you can make the choice. It's up to you what you want to do, right? Build that nest egg. Well, mm. everyone, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks to Gino for being with us. Be sure to check out his podcast, check out his website, learn more about real estate investing on there. Uh, it's still a great product, even after the bust. I think things are going really well now for the real estate market and interest rates and everything else. We've got a great economy that's going on with uh, the jobs uh, being with jobless rate being the lowest I think it's ever been in a long time. So this economy is really cooking. I think it's a great time to get in because right now I think the Fed's just going to start increasing interest rates as they have for a while now to cool down this economy. And that's mm -hmm. just going to be more for borrowing costs. So it's a great time to get in now while the interest rates are still low. And I highly recommend it. Thanks to my audience for tuning in. Thanks to Gino for coming by. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Chris.